You're listening to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast, created by the Arthritis Foundation to help people with arthritis and the people who love them live their best lives. If you're dealing with chronic pain, this podcast is for you. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn how you can take control. Our host is Rebecca Gillette, an arthritis patient and occupational therapist who is joined by others to help you live your yes. The following podcast episode contains adult content, so listener discretion is advised. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I feel like we're starting a theme of talking about the things that are difficult to talk about sometimes. I know how hard it can be to bring up certain topics to your doctor, but this is a safe space. And today, let's talk about sex and intimacy. That's something that I know some of you are like, wait a minute, what? We're, we're really going there? Yes, we are. But I'm so glad that I'm joined with a special guest co-host today, a friend of the Arthritis Foundation and longtime volunteer. He's also an arthritis patient, my friend, Pete Scalia. Thanks for joining me on this conversation, Pete. Hey, Rebecca. So excited to be with you on the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I've been listening to the podcast for a long time. So when the opportunity came up to to spend some time with you today, I was really looking forward to it. So this is this is awesome. Of course, you know, after I got over the initial blushing of, wait, what's the topic going to be again? Um, <laughs> I thought, wow, it's it's really cool to be a part of the conversation. My wife, Amy, and I, we shared at Arthritis Foundation events and through my work in TV, our journey to parenthood that involved a lot of the uh, the topics I'm sure we're going to talk about with our experts today. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Tell our listeners who haven't quite had the pleasure to meet you, Pete, a little bit about yourself. Well, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 30 years old. Uh, so it's been almost 19 years now. I had it under control for a good number of years. But when we wanted to start a family, for me, that meant getting off a lot of my medications. And that is when our journey to parenthood began. Um, and it took a lot longer than we thought and resulted in some pretty severe damage to my body. So during that process, we ended up dealing with some infertility issues and had our first daughter, Lola, through IVF. and uh, But it was during that process that I ended up having bilateral hip replacement. So I had both my hips replaced while my wife was pregnant, and then had my both knees replaced 14 months after that. Um, but then we were blessed with two more kids, our daughter, Sophia, our son, Nico. Um, and we didn't have to go through IVF. It was kind of a miracle. But I have to admit, though, that my wife has told me many times that, look, you know, the first child, we went through a lot to conceive. The second child, we're like, oh my gosh, this is a miracle. But by the third child, my wife told me, I don't care what other procedures you need to get done. There's one you're getting done before you come anywhere near. <laughs> so we, we're, we're good as a, a family of five. You know, We've been actively involved with the Arthritis Foundation for a number of years. It's just really been an incredible asset for me personally. Uh, to be able to share not just my story, but to meet so many other arthritis warriors from all across the country. So I'm really excited to be a part of the podcast with you today. One of the things that I I think your story highlighted for me when I first heard about it was that you know oftentimes we're talking about family planning and 
and things like that. And we're only thinking about women. We're not really thinking about men and how they too have to get off medications. But oftentimes I think that male perspective gets lost because there are a lot of men with arthritis and those that are on biologics who have to think about that. So this is a really important conversation for us to have. And I'm super excited that we have two wonderful guest experts in the world of rheumatology. Yeah, our first guest is Victoria Ruffing. And Victoria is the Director of Patient Education at Johns Hopkins Arthritis Center in Baltimore, Maryland. And she's a founding member and a past president of the Rheumatology Nurses Society. In addition to her clinical care, she's created dozens of patient education videos for the Johns Hopkins Rheumatology YouTube and Facebook accounts. And we're also joined by Iris Zink. She has been a rheumatology nurse practitioner for 22 years. In 2016, she and her husband opened an early arthritis intervention clinic for underserved and uninsured patients. She is also the co-author of the book, Sex Interrupted, Igniting Intimacy While Living with Illness or Disability. She has a YouTube channel dedicated to addressing intimacy issues living with chronic illness. Victoria and Iris, thanks so much for joining us in this conversation. Glad to be here. Thank you. So to kick things off, one of the things that I know as an occupational therapist, uh, when I first started volunteering with the Arthritis Foundation, I would do these presentations and patient education presentations for the community. And when it was done, no matter what the topic, there was always somebody who came back to me with some questions. And most of the time, they were questions about sex and intimacy. How do I get my partner to understand that I'm in too much pain? And how do I get them to realize that I'm not rejecting them? I'm just in pain. And how do you even have sex when your hip hurts? I realized how taboo the conversation can be and how hard it is to bring up that topic with your doctor. It's not something that's comfortable, but I think as an occupational therapist and you guys as nurses, really patients are more comfortable talking to us. So I was going to ask you to start off with, you know, Victoria, what kinds of things do you hear from patients? I would not consider myself an expert. Let me just put that out there. I I think what I have is just practical advice and I lean more towards helping patients with comfort. I've been in rheumatology for 22 years as well. And way back in the beginning of my rheumatology career, a patient was so upset as she was leaving. And I said, what, what's wrong? And she said, I don't think I'm ever going to have a child. And I said, well, why do you think that? And she said, I really can't spread my legs. And I thought, wow, that is just so terrible and something I had never thought about, something I knew was not being addressed at all. And so we talked about some things. And one of the things we talked about was positioning and supporting her hips and supporting her joints and pillows under her knees and just ways that she could make herself more comfortable during the act. And she was so grateful. And also, which was surprising to me, was sort of amazed because I think she thought that the missionary position was the only way to go. So really, those are the kinds of things I talk to patients about. More setting your timing, setting your mood, you know, taking your medications at a specific time, 
Those kinds of things are what I discuss. And I think Iris really is the one that can can hone in on the pleasure side of intimacy. I mean, Iris, first of all, the, the title of the book, Sex Interrupted, Igniting Intimacy While Living with Illness or Disability. I know that now with three kids, sex interrupted has a totally different meaning. But I mean, <laughs> when we were you know, trying to go through this whole thing, and again, with you know, the, the IVF and all these different things, especially being a guy and, and you're typically, you know, expected like, you know, hey, it, it shouldn't be a big deal. I should, you know, pretty much always be in the mood, but that, that wasn't the case, whether it was from medication or, or body image and, and, you know, seeing my body change and that sort of thing. So how did it come about writing this book? So a patient that I saw that had ankylosing spondylitis asked me at the end of the visit, she said, you know, she couldn't spread her legs open wide enough to have intercourse with her husband. And what did I think about that? And I had a pause and she said, oh, I've embarrassed you. And I said, you haven't embarrassed me. I have no idea what the answer to that question is. I said, can I have a couple of weeks? And she was super sweet about it. And I called my local librarian and I said, get me everything you can find on arthritis and intimacy. I thought to myself, if she's having this problem, how many more of my patients are having this problem? I would have these lectures around town and no one would come. And so I thought, okay, what is going wrong? And I think, you know, Vicki's very smart about positioning. And I have found that my patients figured that out from the get-go. They figured out how to manipulate the position to so that they could have intercourse. What my patients were really lacking was communication. Like they did not have the ability to communicate with their partner, there was a huge role shift when someone's diagnosed with an autoimmune disease or a chronic illness in the household. Someone goes from doing a lot of the household duties to not the partner wants to help. You know, there's I don't want to hurt him or her by asking him to do something that used to be a normal activity. There's this whole problem that happens psychologically. So I really delved into that. And when Patients didn't show up. I thought, okay, let's talk to healthcare providers. So I started talking to groups of nurses about talking about intimacy. And wow, nurses are shy about this. And nurses would come up to me after my lecture and say, if I had a book of how to talk to the patients about this, I would feel a lot more comfortable. And I'd look at them and I'd say, Susan, I know you have six kids. You know how to have sex. <laughs> but they wanted a book. Where do you think most people are having the most difficulty? You know, what factor do you see in talking to patients is the most difficult part? Is it the, is it the mechanics or is it the intimacy? I know at Johns Hopkins, they have it on their intake form. Are you having any sexual dysfunction? So first of all, it's, it's making a safe space for that because a lot of places don't even ask. Like your gynecologist wants to know about your birth control and your pregnancy needs, but they don't want to know about your romance or your intimacy issues. You know, no one's asking these questions. So it's about opening that door to communication because they just don't know how to talk to their partner about the body changes and, you know, the pain that they're experiencing and the fatigue. And the last thing you want to do when you're just trying to maintain some degree of normalcy is at the end of the day, after going through a day with chronic pain and trying to work and trying to maybe take care of your kids and everything, is then your partner's like, hey, and you're like, are you kidding me? That's the last <laughs> thing on my mind. I was so exhausted. So it's about talking to people about date night and scheduling it as a priority and making sure you have a babysitter and making sure there's private time for intimacy. 
And, you know, I always normalize, I'm not talking about penetrative sex. When I'm talking about my patients, when I'm talking about intimacy, I'm talking about whatever that means to you. I have a lot of men who have impotence because of their arthritis or because of their medications. I have a lot of women that can no longer tolerate vaginal penetration. I have a lot of women that can't tolerate orgasm or haven't been able to achieve orgasm because of neuropathy. So it's really, when I talk about sex, I mean, whatever that means to you as a couple. And it's kind of reestablishing that communication. Well, you mentioned some medications. Are there specific medications that can hinder sex drive or, you know, motivation to, to even participate? Is there specific medications out there that might be an issue? Yeah, so there's an appendix in the book. I think probably the most common offender that I see is gabapentin, believe it or not, which is an anti-seizure medication. I check hormone levels on my new patient visit. Cortisol rushes will make your hormones low too. Just from the stress of the diagnosis, you know, your prednisone is, a, is affecting your adrenal axis. Vicki, you said off the bat that you had a patient who actually mentioned the mechanics of it to you. How do you get that conversation started though? Since somebody might feel physically and mechanically like, well, gee, I guess that's just something I can't do anymore. I think for the most part, this is not an area that physicians are really have any training or background in. You know, nurses are nurses. And so we are educators, we are counselors, and most people will feel comfortable with their nurse. And a simple question, you know, how are things going? And are you having any intimacy issues? They can say yes, no, or they can say now that you brought that up, you know, I was thinking blah, blah, blah. I mean, I find that just opening the door a little bit, maybe they don't bite that first time, Mm -hmm. but they will come back and they will say, you remember the last time we were together and I was thinking, could I just run this past you or do you have any suggestions? It's not hard to bring it up. It's less hard than, than you think. It's just a conversation. I think one thing that we should probably talk a little bit about is communication between the partners. And so I think that's where things get tough. That's where I think people still have some, I hate to use the word hangups, but some barriers there to, to be able to be open and honest with their partner about what their needs are what they like, what they don't like, what what they find uncomfortable or don't find uncomfortable. And, you know, it's something that I think we we need to encourage is to make sure that that communication is there and that there's no judgment on either side. I know my wife and I have had conversations in hindsight, looking back to those times when, especially, you know, when you're doing something where if you're trying to get pregnant or you're you're talking about like timing and that sort of thing but then at the same time with the medications that might be you know you you might not be in the mood it might diminish mood how do you start that conversation iris when when it comes to like you know with your partner without hurting their feelings and saying you know whether it's a man or a woman saying you know i i love you but i'm not in the mood or trying to explain what's happening with your body and how to maintain that healthy emotional relationship with your partner. So I always encourage people to start with their clothes on. If you have a conversation about how the sexual interaction went right after, then everyone's going to take that personally. 
So never with the clothes off. I always encourage people to have a conversation with their clothes on. And I really always encourage people to start with the word I. As easy as I miss you. I miss when we used to have intimacy. I, you know, love you so much, but I don't want to hurt you. And I understand with your new chronic disease or your new chronic illness and pain, I don't want to exacerbate your fatigue, but I miss the intimacy. I feel tired all the time and I'm stiff and I'm on prednisone and I look different than I used to, but I still very much love you. Can we figure out how to rekindle our intimacy in a way that can meet both of our needs, but that's not going to be painful? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that communication piece, like you're saying, it starts way before you even hit the bedroom, you know, and you touched on body image. So that's another thing that happens a lot when we have arthritis. Our body changes. Not only does our body change, the things we can do with it change. So, you know, how do we feel sexy for any of that sexy time if you don't feel good about yourself and your body? Talk to the patients a lot about general health. So I want to make sure that despite everything that's happened, that they're still eating healthy and they're still trying to get some kind of exercise and they're trying to work on being mindful and stuff like that because that makes you sexy confidence makes you sexy you know as we gain weight as we age that for a lot of women makes you feel unsexy but quite the opposite and I always quote this study in 1988 at Michigan State University I was a study participant in a psychological study where they had men in one room and women in another room this would never work now where they had men pick the body image that they thought was the most attractive and men traditionally picked women who are curvy. And so I have shared that over and over and over with my patients. You gain five, 10, 15 pounds. I bet your partner's going to think you're sexy because you've got all these curves now. Your partner's going to want you to be healthy for sure. But you know, you got to embrace your new body, your new curves, whatever is going on. It's about how the patient's perception is. And sometimes that needs, you know, psychological counseling and really just kind of regrouping where things are. And we can't really do this whole podcast without talking about the divorce rate is so high in people with fibromyalgia. And it's so high in people who are diagnosed with chronic illness just because of this breakdown of communication. One thing I would also just just to throw in there is don't underestimate the power of writing. I have had patients who have just written down what it is because they can't get the conversation going. And so they write their partner a letter. And for some, that may be the way to start it. And that's okay. If you're determined, you can find a way to get that communication going. Maybe in that writing as part of that, you could like even doodle some of the things that will work and maybe not work. You have like a visual representation or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those little stick figures. Uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Well, I know when it comes to like, again, like with the the mechanical aspect of it and the the physical aspect of it, you know, what are some things that that might be able to help people? With me personally, you know, obviously going through difficult time, like before joint replacement versus after, I mean... You know, clearly the new hips certainly helped with two kids later when it comes to like overcoming that pain. And are there things that that can help out like some sort of like with pillows or some sort of thing physically that that could make it a little easier for someone? Well, one thing I would suggest is to time your pain medication. 
don't take it 10 minutes before you, you want to become intimate. You want to take that at least a half an hour ahead of time so that you're getting it at its peak. Set yourself up for success. A nice hot shower so that you're warm and you're loose. I suggest having some rolled towels or pillows handy for people who who do need to prop themselves or support a leg or support an arm or those kinds of things. And there is a Kama Sutra, if you will, for people with spinal cord injuries. And I found that to be very helpful in learning in or in at least describing alternate positioning for people. You know, as Iris was saying earlier, it doesn't have to be the act of intercourse as well. So I think if you both want to achieve orgasm, there are other ways besides intercourse. Actually, intercourse doesn't work that often for women anyway, straight intercourse. I do suggest that people take a hot bath, but then that kind of wrecks your lubrication, you know, so you got to kind of weigh that all out. I, I also talk about morning sex versus night sex. I know you're stiff in the morning, but you do have more energy. And let's again, plan it. Let's know that Tuesday morning from 10 to 11, the kids are going to be somewhere else and that we're, it's going to be on, right? So we're going to be nice to each other Monday night. <laughs> and, you know, using tools and toys are fabulous. Uh, the, the one of the books that I love the most, Miriam Kaufman wrote in its intimacy for people with chronic illness. We all use OXO products in the kitchen to make our lives easier. Why would we not use tools in the bedroom? And the problem with arthritis is the longer you have arthritis, the more neuropathy you have or the, the little nervous system dies because the circulation isn't so great anymore. So you might need a whole bunch more stimulation. And when I'm giving this lecture dressed up as Wonder Woman, I'm always doing the whole thing like you're, you're <laughs> doing a chainsaw because you may need a lot of stimulation in order to have any hope of getting an orgasm for some women because they've just lost so much sensation. Same thing with men. A lot of sensation may have been lost because of spinal cord injury, because of replacements, because of the medication that they're on. And so you got to look for a new avenue. But I think for me, lubrication is the most important tool that my patients are using. And then if they are open to any toys, swings, you know, any kind of apparatuses, the pillow, you know, watch Meet the Falkers and watch Barbara Streisand have <laughs> with her people about different positions and how that's okay. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's opening that conversation up. Well, Iris, I mean, hey, I'll just throw out there too, because I mean, you mentioned dressing up like Wonder Woman. Maybe that could work for some people too. I'm just saying that, you <laughs> yeah. know, might no work. Role play, right? Right. <laughs> you know, to go on your Wonder Woman theme, you might not feel like Wonder Woman because you feel like your partner is doing everything. And so they take on that caregiver role. And where did the romance go? How do you strike that balance as a patient? Like, it's hard. Like, Hey, you, you can stop taking care of me. I'm not going to break. You know, how do you help patients navigate finding that balance? You know, I think, again, it all boils down to communication to really make sure that you understand your partner's needs, what your needs are, and that your partner understands your needs. And sometimes those things may require intervention from a professional. 
There's nothing wrong with couples therapy. There's nothing wrong with seeing a sex therapist. If you feel like you're at an impasse or you don't feel that you can do it on your own, it would be okay to see somebody about those things. Mm-hmm. And physical and occupational therapists can both help. I mean, I think everybody only thinks of us as, you know, OTs as adapting things. Well, sex is an activity of daily living. It might not be daily, but it's an act, an instrumental activity of daily living, which means it's something that we all need or want, and it's just part of life. And so uh, an OT and a PT can help with helping you figure out how to adapt positions based on whatever your joint issues are. And so that aspect is another way of getting help aside from counseling and therapy and that kind of thing. You know, before we were all in the middle of this pandemic, it was easier for me because if my patient had their partner in the room, I would bring up the topic of intimacy between them. Now, when we're doing so much by video, we've lost a lot of that because I feel like we're all kind of in survival mode. And there's been some degree of letting things that are really important, like intimacy, go. All over the country, we have support groups to help you manage your arthritis. Groups may meet virtually or face-to-face, depending on your location and the pandemic. Connect with others who care at connectgroups.arthritis.org. And then some days, though, no matter what anybody's intention is, you just might not be in the mood. Um, And when you're in a lot of pain, you might not want to be touched and you don't want that to be misconstrued as, you know, I don't care about you. How do you give advice to people who ask about how do I say no without hurting their ego? The person with whatever the chronic disease is or the type of arthritis is needs to understand what their disease is and their partner needs to understand what the disease is. I think it's going to be much easier for me to accept that my partner isn't feeling well if I understand what it is that makes them not feel well. Because in many people, you can't, many people with arthritis, you can't see what the problem is. It may not be obvious. Maybe it's somebody's hands. Well, what's that got to do with the rest of their body? What if it's the fatigue? I can't see fatigue. What does fatigue mean? So take a little nap. So I think before you can help your partner understand, you've got to be able to say, whenever, no, I really don't want to. I mean, that's that's legitimate for somebody to say, no matter what. And uh, But I think in order to say it and feel that you are bearing feelings or that what you really want to communicate is, I still love you. I'm not rejecting you. It's just my body is not going to let me do this tonight. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, on those nights when you can't, or it's just too much to have intercourse, I just can't, it's, I'm overwhelmed by that, but can we do X, Y, Z? Yeah. Can we schedule for tomorrow? Are there some alternatives that we can explore And then, you know, there's also this whole school of thought that we're watching a little too much Netflix and we're not having enough sex with our partners. So there's also this thought, well, just doing it is going to make everyone feel better. So I know you're not feeling 100 percent, maybe don't feel great about your body. But if you kind of just let it start with like some hand holding and some foot rubbing, 
you might get more into it. So there's that kind of, you know, could maybe, could I just give you a back rub and we can see how that goes. There's that avenue or there's, you know, not tonight, but can, how about tomorrow or there's that. I know you're talking like with the uh, the scheduling thing and, and maybe trying to find time for that because again, you know, like as a guy, I mean, there's there's two different types of morning stiffness, right? So, you know, <laughs> when you have them both at the same time, you know, you have that dilemma of, well, okay, so it's not not so great when that happens. So, I mean, maybe that is something important to to keeping the intimacy going is that it, it doesn't necessarily have to be sex. I mean, maybe even something just simple like touching or cuddling or something like that really could could help a lot, right? Right. We talked about the caregiver stress before, and I again reviewing back to Miriam Kaufman's book, she really talked about having an occupational therapist get your sex toy. I mean, there are people who do that, and maybe having somebody else help out with the household duties, like somebody else is coming in to clean every two weeks. So your caregiver partner's not doing that anymore. So there's leftover time for intimacy. Anything that you can get off of the person's plate is really going to help a lot. I always say the the sexiest thing my husband does is unload the dishwasher because wow, when I I've heard that one here too. Doing tasks <laughs> around the house that are off my plate, I am feeling like a lot more in the mood. Okay. <laughs> Clean the whole house and I'm ready to go. <laughs> well, there I'm is like one scheduling thing... a maid service right now. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing that can easily kill the mood if you're not in the mood is the smell of pain cream. So if my husband ever walks in the room and he's like, oh, it's one of those nights, huh? So <laughs> he knows, okay, you're in pain, fine, you know. Acts of service is a, a love language, right? But that is one thing too, for some people, I'm fortunate to have a husband that he does a lot of things, just that alone, that appreciative perspective I have of all of the things he does to support really. I mean, that adds to the intimacy. He takes care of me. It does make a difference. I think that adds to it. Keep unloading that dishwasher, Pete. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. <laughs> for a lot of women, especially in moms, we're all trying to balance so many things. And that's, you know, that's the hard part. So like, when am I supposed to have energy? To, to do that too, you know? Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about having a healthy sex life and drive and keeping that with your partner and your relationship. But I don't want to skim over the fact that there might be listeners who are listening who don't have a partner. Mm-hmm. So do you have patients with arthritis who come to you who have concerns about their sexual health and they don't have a partner? Absolutely. And I hope Vicki has a lot more advice about this is if you are newly diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and you're dating, and when do you reveal that? But I love it when ladies come to me and tell me that they want to maintain intimacy, but they don't have a partner because then we can talk about toys, which is super fun and talk about lubrication and things like that. And, you know, I, I have a sex therapist that I have on speed dial, so I can refer my patients to the sex therapist or give them a catalog of toys there's so much on the internet now that is available and remind them that, you know, the occupational therapist can help them with gadgets and devices and help them manipulate them. But it's very, very important to maintain a sex life, even if you're a solo partner, because it helps with pain. 
if you have an orgasm, your pain threshold goes up by 110%, according to the Rutgers study. That is huge. So it really helps with pain. It helps physiologically with your immune system. When you have an orgasm, you're better able to fight infection, which we all need right now. So these are really, really important things for everyone. Well, there's the motivation right there, Pete. I was going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give that, that entire list right there, all the benefits. I'm going to tell my wife about all of that tonight, for sure. <laughs> it, it's good for my health, right? Yeah, the endorphin release. I think we forget about that, right? So one of yeah. the things that we talk about is staying physically active when you have arthritis. So this is a form of physical activity. Sure Very is. much so, right? Sure. Did you want to add to that, Victoria? It seems to me that too soon is it can be scary, but too late can be scary. So it's really, I think, a matter of sort of waiting for that door to open. I think, you know, I mean, I guess if I had to give it a, you know, I give it a third date discussion or something like that, you know, it depends. I think you're just going to know, is this the right person to bring this up with? And if, if it's not the right person to bring it up with, then that's not the right person. Right. Absolutely. That's why the, the support groups are so important and the Arthritis Foundation is so important because that allows the individuals to have a platform where they can talk to other people who've been there and done that. And what do you do and what worked for you? Whenever you need help, the Arthritis Foundation's helpline is here for you. Whether it's about insurance coverage, a provider you need help from, or something else, get in touch with us by phone, toll-free at 800-283-7800. Or send us an email at arthritis.org slash i-need-help. We have a segment where listeners can ask questions and we post it on social media. We did post some questions and say, what questions would you have for our experts? And, you know, I'm not surprised that we didn't get a lot of questions because I think people are afraid to post those questions publicly. But one person said, good topic. What are some positions that those of us with arthritis should avoid? And she has osteoarthritis. So I guess if you have osteoarthritis, then you may have had a hip replacement or a knee replacement. And obviously, or hopefully, your physical therapist has told you to what degree that joint should go and taught you some precautions for those joints. So you don't want to go beyond that. Think back to what your physical therapist may have told you. but. Positions to avoid, I can't think offhand of what to avoid, except if it makes you uncomfortable, avoid it. Mm -hmm. Right. If there's discomfort involved, you don't want to do something that's really hurting your hips or hurting your knees. One thing to remember is you do not have to be an acrobat. Nobody, nobody needs you to be an acrobat. It may look good on TV, but that is not (laughs) happening. That is not real life, people. The whole experience is not going to be what it looks like on TV. I mean, there's shades of gray. There's no like spontaneously it's on the candles are there and there's the great music and everything because the kids are knocking at the door, you know, the dog (laughs) falling off the bed, somebody's farting. 
<laughs> right. right. It just never works out like that. That's why having a sense of humor is so important. I would say the same thing for osteoarthritis. There's no position that is taboo or, you know, that you shouldn't do. So it's about doing stuff that doesn't cause you to have intense nerve pain going down your legs. But, you know, comforting yourself with pillows would be fabulous. You might not want to use the sex swing if you've got any instability. I mean, you know, it's just about being wise about how things are going. But hopefully they've seen an occupational therapist and they're not, you know, putting so much pressure on their thumb because they're holding themselves on the bed. You know, just it's doing things that are not hurting you that you don't have pain afterwards. It's just amazing. Like you even mentioned like that swing. And I think of like how incredibly like practical that would be for like <laughs> someone with arthritis. But the thing is like with three kids, how do you convince them that it's not for them? Why is, <laughs> why is there a, you know, suddenly there's, there's this amazing like swing or like floating <laughs> Papa's on chair or something. And that's, now that's mommy and daddy's special chair, I guess you could explain it's it. only for adults. But, it, but it's just funny though. I mean, because I just start thinking of like, you know, if you are having like issues with mobility or something, it would solve so many problems. I don't know, maybe some sort of program where we can get one of those into the home of, of everyone in the country somehow, but. Take away that gravity piece. Pool. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but Iris, I love what you said. You got to have a sense of humor and navigating all this. You just have to have a sense of adventure and uh, openness and willingness to talk about it with your partner to be able to make sure that you're maintaining that level of intimacy to keep that relationship strong, right? And I think it's such an important piece. So I'm really, really glad that we were able to have this conversation today and appreciate uh, you guys joining me in the conversation. Vim is a one-of-a-kind pain management app that can help you track your condition, set goals, and connect with others. It's free, and it's customized to your own situation. Download Vim at arthritis.org slash VIM and take back what chronic pain takes away. Before we go, we always like to end every episode with our top takeaways. And so I'm going to start with you, Victoria, if you could share your top three takeaways for our listeners on sex and intimacy when you have arthritis. Well, I think my number one would be understand what you can about your disease and your medications and help your partner to understand that too. I think before we talk about anything, I think we need to really understand. Number two would be to develop some style of communication that's going to work between you and your partner. And number three, I think is relax. Yep. Relax, just do it. Yeah. Iris, <laughs> do you have some <laughs> uh, takeaways? Just do it, just do it. You know, Ashley Graham has a great quote. She said, every time she and her husband are bickering, she knows it's because they haven't had intimacy in a while and it just smooths everything out. So maintain intimacy, whatever that means to you. It doesn't mean penetration, you know, communication, communication. That is so important for intimacy in whatever form. And I love Vicky's suggestion about journaling or writing it down and, you know, giving your husband or partner a card, you know, with information that could be helpful. 
you can always leave the sex interrupted book just laying there <laughs> and say, you know, I picked this up because I heard this crazy nurse practitioner talking about it. Let's have a conversation because the whole book is about communication and the importance of maintaining intimacy, no matter what. Pete, do you have any takeaways you want to share? I think just from, you know, having this conversation is is key. Like you said, a lot of times, especially for men, I mean, a lot of times guys are reluctant to talk about their health in general, right? So if you're dealing with arthritis and you're dealing with that pain or you're dealing with the side effects of the medication, don't be afraid to talk to your doctor about it, to your nurse about it, somebody to get that conversation going because you need to do that for your own well-being. But then especially that communication with your partner. And having that dialogue is uh, is so important. But just know that there are those of us out there who are probably going through something similar and uh, that you're not alone in this journey. Yeah, definitely not alone. And thank you very much, Victoria. Thank you very much, Iris and Pete, for having this important conversation with me today. And it's not going to be the last. I'm sure we'll have more conversations to come. For those of you listening, if you haven't, downloaded our new app from the Arthritis Foundation, Vim. I highly encourage you to do so. You can connect with others in the community who, like Pete just said, get it and find out some resources and education and tools to help you manage your arthritis. And don't forget, it's not just physical activities and nutrition and all of the activities of daily living. Your sexual health is a part of your health And make sure you open up to your doctor or your nurses or anybody that's a healthcare provider that you're comfortable with. But most important, like Pete said, communicating with your partner. Thank you guys for joining me today. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you guys. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having us. Due to the nature of the content in this episode, if you have any questions or comments for our guest experts, please feel free to email us at podcast at arthritis.org. That's podcast at arthritis.org. The Live Yes with Arthritis podcast is independently produced by the Arthritis Foundation to help people living with arthritis and chronic pain live their best life. People like you. For a transcript and show notes, go to arthritis.org slash podcast. Subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch. <laughs>